Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for being part of this community of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We are quickly approaching that big episode number 300. And this next week will mark three years since I launched this show. Uh, I did it with very low expectations, and three years later, I have much higher expectations for what we are doing and where we are going as a small but mighty community here in the world of cool things entrepreneurs do. And I always like to bring people on who do different types of things. If you listen to the show regularly, you know that uh, everybody could be a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do if they're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a business leader, or just somebody who has sort of that entrepreneurial spirit. And today's guest, well, he's no different. Mike Belsito is the co-founder of Product Collective, and they are the ones behind the industry conference. And basically what, what he says is he helps product people be better product people. And I've done a lot of things in that industry of product managers. I've spoken at many a conference with, uh, as he calls them, product people. And I know firsthand they're good people. So I thought I would invite Mike here on the show and talk about his journey, what he does, how he helps people be more productive product people, and uh, tell us a little bit about you know what he loves about entrepreneurship. So Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Yeah, so I hate introductions because, you know, we can read these little bios that we get sent by PR people all day long. So I like to let the <laughs> guests tell everybody, you know, who you are and what you do. So so who are you, Mike? Yeah, well, first, the good news is I don't have a PR person. So this is just be coming <laughs> straight from me. Um, but yeah, you know, I consider myself, uh, you know, somebody that loves starting things from scratch. And, you know, I've had the chance in my career to do all sorts of different things when it comes to starting things. But it's been about 12 years for me. Um, in terms of being involved in technology startups one way or the other. I've been employee number one at a startup that became a $30 million company. I've been a co-founder now of two companies, um, also an executive at a company that I didn't start but was brought on to uh, help lead and ultimately we were acquired. So the cool thing for me is I've been a part of all different types of companies at different, well, I should say mostly on the early stage, but um, coming in, in in so many different ways and I, I love it. I mean, just the, the idea of coming into a place where you had nothing to begin with and then ultimately you have something of value that is actually helping people. My whole career has sort of been based on that. So I really love it. I, so I, yeah, I am the co-founder of Product Collective. That's what I do from a day-to-day. Our, our main product, if you will, is this conference called Industry, which we've just had our third uh, conference in oh, September. Congratulations. Uh, just Thank you. Uh, yeah, just coming off of it. So we had about 700 people from 40 states and 10 countries come to Cleveland, Ohio for it. And Beautiful it went really city. well. Awesome city. Um, yeah. But, you know, all year round, I mean, that happens once a year. We do things all year round to help product people. So we have, we opened up Product Collective as a membership. People could join. We have a, a weekly uh, product brief newsletter. We do live video Q&A chats twice a month. And we have a Slack group with a few thousand product people that are part of it with their trading ideas, best practices, that sort of thing. So, yeah, definitely stay busy all year round. Well, you said you've been, you know, sort of an entrepreneur for 12 years. I'm looking at your photo here on your website. You look like you're all of like 20 years old. So did you start at eight? <laughs> 
I appreciate you saying that. I will turn 36 in October, so I have some years under my belt, but <laughs> I did get started early. You know, I, I went right to business school right out of undergraduate studies and first job right out of business school was employee number one at a company called Findaway. And so, yeah, really all I know in my professional career is startups. So Mike, what is it sort of then that led you to go into this entrepreneurial world, right? I mean, a lot of people, they, they, they go straight from undergrad, maybe into business school and they're, they're thinking, you know, Ooh, Procter and Gamble, here I come. (laughs) What, what is it that led you into this entrepreneurial path? Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is too, you know, when I went to business school, Keep in mind, it was a different time than today. This was, you know, I graduated in 2005. Back then, like Facebook was around, but you had to go to Harvard, you know, in order to use it. It was the the whole uh, startup mentality. It was there, you know, but it was not what it is today, and it wasn't as glorified as it is today. So, I really, I wasn't going through business school with startups in mind. What happened is, I actually went to uh, undergraduate studies. You know, I had studied sport management. So actually, sports business was what I was really interested in. Um, when I was in undergraduate, I had, I don't know, eight or nine internships in all different aspects of sports business. So working for pro teams, college teams, um, sports agencies, like eight or nine different uh, things that I did. Just and for me, I was just trying to explore it and, and see what I really liked within sports business. What happened is when I got to case, um, and, and the whole reason I went to business school, by the way, is, you know, the usual track for folks in sports business is immediately after undergraduate, you pursue a master's in sport management. And it's mostly just because of how competitive the field is. It's just what normally happens. And at the time, my goal was to ultimately become a division one college athletics director. That was sort of the ultimate dream job for me. And I was lucky to have a couple people that were D1 athletic directors as mentors. And so one of them, who was the athletic director at the school I was going to, Bowling Green State University, he had uh, basically gave me the recommendation of, hey, if you're going to go to graduate school right after undergrad, which you don't have to, by the way, but if you do, don't get a master's in sport management. You know, may, If you're interested in becoming an athletic director, think about an MBA because really, you know, I'm the CEO of the athletics department, so that will better prepare you. You're not going to learn anything necessarily new if you've got a master's in sport management and if you decide to change your mind later, because Mike, guess what? You're 21 years old. You might, <laughs> you might change your mind. You know, an MBA might help you one way or the other. So I ended up um, going to Case Western Reserve University for my MBA. And I figured, you know, if I'm going to be here two years, might as well, you know, keep interning here too. So I set up a meeting with the athletics director and uh, I thought I could picture on the idea of me joining their corporate sponsorship group as an intern. And so I did that. I remember taking a walk with her. This is the first time I was meeting her and I pitched her the idea of me joining her corporate sponsorship group. And she said, well, Mike, that would be awesome, but we don't do corporate sponsorships and we're a division three school. You know, you went to Bowling Green, that's division one. They, they have the money for that, but we don't have the money to hire somebody to do it. We don't have the time to take somebody who's already busy and divert them to corporate sponsorships. And so, and I wasn't expecting that. So just off the cuff, I was like, well, that's okay. You know, let me start it. I'll start it from scratch. You know, I'll figure out what our inventory is. I'll figure out how to sell it. I'll service the sponsors and you don't even need to pay me except for maybe, you know, percentage of whatever I'm able to raise. And what I, what I didn't realize was even though I set up that meeting with her, her name, her email was all on the website. That meeting I had with her, that was her first day on the job. (laughs) So it was a, a little bit of good timing because, you know, usually you're putting your stamp on something when you're new and she, she said, okay, you know, not necessarily on the spot, but you know, ultimately she said, okay, she let me start that from scratch. I had to figure out everything, how to 
come up with a program, create that inventory, sell it, service it. Uh, but I did that. In fact, within 90 days, I'd raised about like $30,000 in annual revenue, which by the way, like a big division one school, it's kind of a drop in the bucket, but at case that's like a football coach's salary. Like that's a big deal, you know? So that was actually my first taste of starting something from scratch. And I did that for two years. I had so much fun. And by the time I finished my MBA, I was thinking to myself, gosh, this is you know, sports business. Like, yeah, that's cool. But you know, that's, I had known enough already to know like, Hey, you might not have all great experiences just because it's sports and just because you know, I love sports. And I thought, you know, gosh, if, if only there was a profession where you can start things all the time, you know, and of course there is like, it's one of the oldest professions there is, which is being an entrepreneur. But that whole experience is what really got me interested in starting things. And I ended up meeting three entrepreneurs that were just about to start a business looking to hire their first employee. And I thought, you know, I could try to do this for other schools because it had kind of worked out well for Case, but gosh, I probably could be a much better entrepreneur learning from people that have been there and done it before. And that these three entrepreneurs, they had been there and done it before. And so I took uh, a role as employee number one at that company Findway right out of business school, but that's how it all got started. See, that's, that's awesome though. Cause I love to hear people's stories because there's for every path, I mean, for every person, there's a totally different path. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times we lean our ladders against the wall, like you did for, you know, sports management. And a lot of people look around and decide their ladders against the wrong wall, but a lot of people are just like, well, but I, this is what I went to school for. So I guess I'd better just go do this. And then they're 50 years old and they're like, God, I'm miserable. I love, (laughs) I love the fact that at an early age you realized, oh, I put my ladder against this wall, but Hey, that wall looks a lot better. Let's just move the ladder. Yeah. Well, you know, and the funny thing is, so now I also, I teach one class a semester at Case Western Reserve University as as it is. And um, I, I teach entrepreneurship classes. Actually this semester I'm teaching the first undergraduate product management class there. But students come up to me all the time, you know, they'll ask for feedback and some of them will be so stressed out and they're like, I've changed my major twice and I'm going to change it again. But I don't know, like, I don't know if this is the right one. I'm like, here, come closer. I'm going to tell you a secret. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter what your major is because really all, you know, you'll figure, you'll figure it out. I mean, I've sort of reinvented myself several times in my career and um, I don't know what I've learned. I mean, maybe there are some things where it does matter. I suppose if you want to do something, I don't know. I was going to say computer science, you know, if you want to be a software engineer, it'd be good to go to school for computer science, but I know software engineers that are self-taught too. So it's just, uh, people stress themselves out because they feel like they have to have a whole master plan, even when they're 20, 21 years old. And I don't know, I've just learned firsthand. It doesn't necessarily have to be like that. No, well, it certainly doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, I was trying to look up what episode number it was, and I can't find it quickly because I'm just not well organized enough. But I interviewed a lady back, gosh, it's been two years ago now. Oh, episode number 73. I interviewed a woman named Deborah Gilboa. She's a doctor in Pittsburgh. And she actually was a, uh, I met her because my daughter was going to be enrolling at Carnegie Mellon University. And Mm. I reached out to my network in Pittsburgh and said, I'm looking for entrepreneurs who do cool things who live in Pittsburgh because I wanted to make some friends in Pittsburgh. And I knew I was going to be traveling there a few times a year. And uh, it was really weird because I thought people would be like, sure, I want to be on your show. And I really didn't get that many Pittsburghers who wanted to be uh, on the show, but I got connected with Deborah, and she's a medical doctor, but she had uh, she was an alumni of Carnegie Mellon, and she had done her undergrad in drama, 
and went on to work at Second City TV in Chicago for seven or eight years. And she had quite a career. Uh, I'm, I think she was both a performer, but then on the uh, uh, administration side. And one day she looked out the window when driving through Chicago and thought, huh, look, there's Northwestern Medical School. How come I majored in drama? I wanted to be a doctor when I was a kid. So she ended up going to one of the most prestigious colleges in the country to major in theater and then went into sort of the management side, you know, managing a troop like Second City. And then she was like, huh. So she called Northwestern. I'm messing up her story. I'm sure she'd listen to it and go, "That's you've, you've embellished my story, Tom. But she called and said, what do you have to do to go to medical school? And they had all these things. You had to take so many science classes. You had to have this. And they said, and you need a college degree. And she said, in what? And they said, in college? <laughs> As long as you've taken these prerequisite science classes, you don't have to be a pre-med or a biology major as long as you've met this, this, and this. So she went and took whatever classes she hadn't taken that were science-related uh, over the next year or so and then applied and ended up getting accepted to Pitt and went on and became a doctor back in Pittsburgh where she was from. Wow. And what she and now she's a professional speaker and a parenting expert. And one of the things she teaches is don't ask kids, you know, college kids or high school kids, what do you want to do? Ask them, what do you want to do first? Because she would never want to trade away her time mm. with Second City. But, right. you know, now she's this successful physician and now she has this third career as a, as a speaker and sort of an expert on parenting. And she said, it's not what do you want to do? It's what do you want to do first? And that has really resonated with me, especially I have a second child. I have a high school student. And as she's looking for, you know, what she wants to do, her sister knew. I mean, she wanted to go to super prestigious university, Carnegie Mellon, check. She wanted to major in business, you know, check. And she kind of knew what she wanted to do. The younger one is, you know, more like up in the air about, I don't know exactly what I want to do. And I keep referring back to what Dr. Gilboa said, and that is not what do you want to do? It's what do you want to do first? And, and when you think about a doctor who majored in drama, you know, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's real cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, so now that you've been doing this, you 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 left you left your MBA, got your MBA, and then left uh, left college to go be employee number one. Now you've started a bunch of companies, worked for a bunch of things. You know, you're part of this organization where you're a co-founder. What do you love about the life of an entrepreneur? Well, I will say I love the fact that the whole point of being an entrepreneur is ultimately to help people. You know, and it, of course, it comes in different ways. But I just think back, also, you know, the businesses that I've started. The, the one thing that they have in common, because by the way, they would, at, at first glance, they would seem totally different from each other. There's product collective where, you know, we're helping technology product managers. And, but the first startup that I launched was a company called eFuneral. And it was an internet company in the death care space. And boy, we helped. Boy, that's yeah. uplifting at a networking event. <laughs> I got well, a startup. Yeah. My, my startup is positivity.com. What's yours? Funerals.com. <laughs> That's right. You know, I never thought I would be speaking at the International Cemetery Cremation and Funeral Association Conference. That was checked off my bucket list. I, I, I've done that. You know, you make a um, joke out of it, but I'll tell you what, <laughs> one of my favorite, favorite clients I ever spoke to was a bunch of people who owned mortuaries. It was, I, I spoke, yeah. I was the keynoter at their conference and I loved it. And I had a friend who had worked in that business. He was a minister and had spent some time working in that business. So I called him and I said, what, what do I need to know before I speak to him? He goes, don't tell death jokes. Don't go in and say, I've been dying to speak to your association. No, I've heard way too many death jokes since starting eFuneral. That's for sure. But but I'll tell you what, like the, the main, and, and you know, that whole business, like we helped families 
very quickly find information about end-of-life providers in their area so they could find pricing information, reviews from other families, um, and it was free for the family, but so that they can make a more informed decision. This would be whether there was a death that just happened or they're planning ahead. Um, but like what, that, what we help families do, it normally took them, I mean, it would take them days if they did it. Like for instance, where I live in Lakewood, Ohio, there's about six funeral homes in two miles. If I wanted all that info from six funeral homes, that's, I, I'd have to visit or call, but sometimes over the phone, they're not giving information. So anyway, we're, we helped families do that. And the whole reason we started that in the first place was because I had a cousin that died unexpectedly. My family went through that process and it was a horrible process, like from beginning to end, it, not so much in the service we received, but the fact that first of all, we weren't expecting, you know, my cousin to pass away. He's a relatively younger guy in his forties, but there are multiple funeral homes where he lived. We didn't work with any of them. And I remember with be, being with my uh, wife at dinner after the service took place. And the only reason we were at that restaurant was because reviews I read on Yelp. And I'm like, this is messed up. Like we actually had more information to decide where to spend 30 bucks for dinner than we did for my cousin's funeral where my family probably spent $10,000, you know, and money aside, it's one of the most important life decisions. So we started that because I felt that, that problem, that pain point myself. And I felt like it was so important to solve that I had to do something about it. And same with product collective. I, you know, with product collective that started because I was a new product person. Actually, we had sold the funeral, but I was called a fail sale. We, did, we didn't exactly succeed with everything that I wanted, uh, you know, e-funeral to be, but we we're lucky to have um, an acquirer come along and at least we could give something back to investors and sort of live to see another day. But it wasn't retiring on a beach. It was, I had to find another job. And so I got recruited by a company um, to be a director of product strategy. Um, and it was this ticketing technology company here in Cleveland. And first of all, I remember Googling, what does a director of product strategy do? Like literally that's what went in the, the Google search bar. And when I met with them, I'm like, hi, this sounds awesome, but I don't know if this is for me. Like I, I didn't go to school for product management. And I'm like, oh no, Mike, nobody went to school for product management. Like that's not a, it's not a thing. You can't, there's no major for that. And so for me, I was this, I ended up taking the role, but I was just trying to immerse myself into learning what it meant to be a product person. I was reading books and listening to podcasts, but I love learning through people. And so, you know, a lot of times it's like taking them to coffee and just picking their brain a little bit. But I learned that there really weren't major conferences for it. I wanted to go to a product conference. and I really couldn't find many that looked like they were specifically for me as a product person. And ultimately we ended up creating that. But both in the case of eFuneral and the case of Product Collective, they were problems that I felt myself and I wanted to solve for. So when, when you ask the question like, how, what, you know, what do you like about being an entrepreneur? I just love the fact that be, being able to create something that actually helps people and solves a problem that, that real people actually have, um, like the problems that I experienced before eFuneral and before Product Collective, like that is the coolest thing in the world to me. So that's kind of, that's kind of the allure for me. So- if someone was listening and they're like, God, Mike's got so much energy and he started all kinds of different things and he sees a problem and, and he, he goes with it. What advice would you have for somebody who wants to become an entrepreneur? They want to start something. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll say this. It could be done in many different ways, right? Like when I compare my experiences with eFuneral, the product collective, they're actually two different experiences. Like eFuneral, we raised money from venture capitalists and angel investors and um, with Product Collective, we bootstrapped it 100%. With eFuneral, like we left our day jobs 
pre-product, you know, not even pre-launch, like pre-product, we put ourselves in. Um, and I don't regret it. I think for that kind of business, it needed to happen. But for Product Collective, we started it on the side. My partner and I both had full-time jobs. And it wasn't until after our second conference, um, which was about a year ago, where we went in full-time. Hmm. So what I would say to people that have an interest in things is just don't feel like there's one way to do it or there's the right way to do it. Um, it all depends on what it is that you want to start and and kind of what your life situation is. And what I the, the advice I would recommend though is get started with something. Like especially if you are if you have never launched anything before, I would say get started with a side project. You know, any kind of side project. It just gives you the confidence to that. You know, then when you're ready to go in with your you know your big idea, um, th- th- you'll feel a lot more prepared. So what I would say is like for the people, especially sometimes I'll get people that say like, hi, I want to be, I want to start something at some point, but I'm just waiting for the perfect idea. I'm like, well, that's fine. But don't, uh, until that happens, maybe get started doing some other things and just try some things out. Because then when your perfect idea comes along, if that's even a thing, um, you'll feel better prepared um, when that happens. Sure, sure. Hey, Mike, I've got a couple of more questions for you. But before I get there, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Hey, Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Mike. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer they have for the listeners of this show. So Mike, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in your business right now? Well, to me, I mean, and you're talking to me right when I came off of our conference industry, and I'll tell you what, I mean, we had... Jason Freed of Basecamp. We had, you know, the VP of product marketing for Facebook, other product leaders from Amazon, um, and even attendees. Like we had attendees coming from 40 states and 10 countries this year. So to me, putting on a conference in my own hometown, bringing all those types of people to Cleveland, um, where most of the people there, attendees, speakers, this was their first time in Cleveland. So having them come to my hometown for this and basically having access to the world's best product people, you know, right in front of me and getting rock rock and roll hall of fame. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, I can't think of a cooler thing than that right now. I'm just super excited for what we did. And we're already planning for industry 2018, which will be, uh, you know, October 2018, but also, um, I'm excited. We just decided that we'll be launching our first European conference, which is being Dublin, Ireland, uh, coming up this April. So I'm pumped for that too. Nice. Dublin is one of my favorite places, and it's actually on my secret list of places I want to speak. It's it's uh, it, Dublin is a cool town. Nice. Hey, uh, so I could talk to you all day long about all the <laughs> cool things that uh, Mike Belsito does. However, I think great entrepreneurs. I think I think it's more than about you. I think great entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask the people who come on this show, who do you think is out there doing something cool? Oh, uh, I. It, so for me, I get to meet a ton of people all the time that are doing really cool things. I, I have a bias, especially towards, you know, young people that are doing cool things. So I teach right now, um, again, a, a product management class at Case Western Reserve, but 
I'm also involved with a lot of the entrepreneurial things that are going on there. And oh, like one of my students, he's working on, uh, I mean, he's, I don't even know how old he is, probably 20, 21 years old. He's working on this project where he is, it, it, it's for jet propulsion. It's way over my head, but it basically can help ultimately if it's implemented, it'll help, uh, you know, jets get a better lift. And I'm like, here's this 20, 21 year old kid. He's still in college and he's working on things that are way over my head. But it's honestly, there's so many students at Case Western. And this is, you know, I go to a lot of college campuses, whether I'm speaking there or what have you. Um, I, the fact that college students are in this place where, yeah, yes, they need to study, but they have, you know, they have a roof over their heads. They don't have to worry about a whole lot of bills to pay. I love when I see college kids working on side projects and and um, other types of entrepreneurial ventures. So I just think back to a, a lot of the college students that I meet at Case and other places doing awesome things. Yeah, I think that's great that some 21-year-olds trying to figure out how to give jets better lift. When I was yeah. 21, I was trying to figure out how to get free beer. So uh, Exactly. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, my daughter goes to Carnegie Mellon and, and the friends that she associates with are just so brilliant. I mean, I, I meet her friends and we talk about what they're studying and, you know, even, you know, things like that, you know, her, her boyfriend is a, a math genius. He's not just a smart kid. He's a math <laughs> genius. And yep. he, he won a thing called, he was named a Putnam Fellow, which meant nothing to me, but it was explained as if it was the NCAA championship That's of awesome. math. And yep. I happened to mention that off the cuff at a tech conference where I was speaking, that he was a Putnam Fellow. And this woman like rushed the stage afterwards and she said, who did you say you knew who was a Putnam Fellow? And I'm like, oh, it's my, my daughter's boyfriend. And she's like, my husband was a Putnam Fellow 30 years ago. And she like, her husband had passed away and she started weeping about like how smart this guy had to be. And I, I called my daughter. I'm like, yeah, apparently he's not just kind of smart. He's freaking smart. <laughs> So, although, you know, you know, Carnegie Mellon, especially. So it's funny you mention it because the only college in the country that I'm aware of that has a major for product management, I believe it's Carnegie Mellon. And they believe they just came out with that not that long ago. Interesting. Um, Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, just, you know, this, this, this kid that she dates, it's funny because, so his name is Thomas. And of course my name is Thomas (laughs) and he grew up in Southern California and I, I grew up in Southern California and he's a freaking genius. So two out of three, it's kind of like the dad. So, you know, not so bad. I'm, I'm no genius, but it's all, it's all good. Hey, Mike, the last question I ask everybody is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think entrepreneurs want to do more than, than just make money. I think they want to leave their mark behind. So, so what do you do? Yeah, well, I have kind of a personal, um, I don't want to call it like rule, more like a philosophy, I guess, which is my um, always yes to coffee meeting rule. So it, it, for me, I have learned so much and have gotten so much value out of learning from other people or just over coffee, right? Like I have never been shy about asking people to coffee, especially in the very beginning when I was just getting started. And I'm fortunate to have mentors in my life that have really guided me very well. And so like my simple rule is if I get asked to a coffee meeting, I always accept. And it, it, it may take me, you know, now that my schedule is a lot busier than it used to be, it may take me a while to find time with that person. We'll, we'll compare calendars, but if whether I know that person, whether I have a mutual connection or not, if somebody asks me for, for coffee, you know, they want to catch up or they want to get some advice, I always take them up on it. So it's just a small, simple thing, but I feel like if everybody did that and everybody knew that everybody did that, like, just think of how empowering it could be to know like, wow, if I want to learn about anything, like I know I can ask 
anybody to coffee and they will, they will take me up on that. So it's something I do, whether or not it's helpful, I have no idea, but, well, I'm sure it um, is. but I, I, I enjoy doing it because also for me, you know, I get value out of it too. Like I, I love, I, again, another philosophy of mine is just to help people without asking or expecting for anything in return. But I've just learned that this world has a way of, of paying it back to you at some point. So um, it's a, it's something that's small. I mean, I'm involved with all sorts of other organizations. There's some formal things, but honestly, I feel like that's the one thing that I do that um, might actually be, or at least it's my hope that it could be the most helpful thing. Well, you know, I kind of really am impressed with that because I run into people all the time who have the opposite philosophies. I'm tired of people wanting to pick my brain. No, 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 no. All these people call me. And, and like, I'm talking about my peers. Like, they, they, we were sitting around at the National Speakers Association and some people were complaining about how many want-to-be speakers want to take them out for coffee. And I'm thinking, how many calls are you getting, right? They were right. making it sound like they were getting like 50 calls a week from want-to-be right. speakers. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm just not that good or, you know, something. And they're like, I don't know. I get like, you know, two, three calls a month from people who want to do that. I'm like, okay, that's about what I get is one or two yeah. a month, something like that. And I'm like, why can't you do I'm just too busy. My time is worth thousands of dollars an hour. And I'm like, no, 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 no. When I started in this business, everybody who would talk to me, it was, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And a ton of people said yes. So I do the same thing you do. Now, what I've done, you were talking about trying to figure out how to do it. My thing is, if someone I don't know calls and wants to have coffee and pick my brain, I say, absolutely. It's going to be at between 7 and 8 o'clock, 7.30 and 8.30 in the morning uh, at the Starbucks at, yes. in, in Circle C, which is in yes. way southwest Austin. Yep. Now, yep. My daughter, I drive her to school. This is this started when she was in elementary school. I used to drive her to school. So 7.30, I'd go over to the Starbucks. And sometimes people would say, oh, I live in Round Rock, which is far northwest of Austin. And they're like, I can't do that. I'm like, okay, well, when you can, I'm there all the time. We can easily, you know, find a time yep. to do that. And a couple of people were like, how rude. He wants me to drive an hour to come talk to him. And I'm like, oh, I really don't think that's rude. And so that's, and I learned that when I was a salesman, I was in St. Louis and I wish to God I remembered who it was, but I was doing sales for the Chamber of Commerce for a special project. I worked for the publishing company of the Chamber of Commerce in Austin and they sent me to St. Louis to work on a project for the city of St. Louis. And I, I needed to get like big dollar sponsorship out of, uh, you know, manufacturing companies and things like that. And I called the CEO and, and this was, this was 25 years ago. I mean, it was a long time ago, 20 years ago when actually CEOs would answer their own phone and didn't necessarily have voicemail. And this guy said, of course you can come in and tell me about your project for the Chamber of Commerce. However, it will be at seven in the morning on like Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. And I got up early and I left the hotel and I went and I like pounded, I had to pound on the door a couple of times and he told me, you know, I have to get his attention. But he was an early arriver and he had coffee and read the paper every morning. So if someone wanted to see him, this was it. And I remember he told me, he goes, it eliminates about 60 to 75% of the people who want to meet with me because they always have an excuse why they can't do seven in the morning. That's fine, but that's when yeah. I meet with salespeople. And I always remember that I learned that from him. I implemented it. And I also remember he signed up for the sponsorship. So it was a win-win situation all the way around the board. So yeah. I love the fact that you say yes. And all these people who are like, oh, I say no. Too many people want my stuff. I charge them for coffee. Get over yourself and go have coffee with them. Yeah, I know. And you're you're so right on. And I, I'd i say probably in the past year or two is when I started doing the same thing for me. It's, it's either right after I drop off my kids or right after I pick them up because I'm either dropping them off or picking them up, you know, whatever my wife and I trade on that. And 
there's a coffee shop called the Root Cafe in Lakewood, which is where I live, right near where uh, my kids, you know, where our childcare provider is. And same deal. I'm like, if you can meet me at eight o'clock at Root Cafe, I'm I'm all for it. Right. You know, yeah. and you're right. Sometimes. No, because sometimes people have to travel across town to do that. And so, but some, a lot of people do it. And some people, they're like, oh, okay, well, I'll get, I'll get back to you. It's, it used to be that I'd, you know, I'd feel an obligation to meet halfway. And no. but I feel like, no, you know, I don't feel that obligation, especially if I feel like I could be helpful to them. You know, I, I think it would be more than worth the trip. And, and for the folks that do make it out, I think that they feel that way too. So yeah, yeah it works it, out. It's one thing if it's one of my friends. You know, yeah, I'll meet them halfway. Sure. But somebody who says, hey, can I can I have free consulting for an hour? You know, hey, of course you can. But you're coming to me and you're doing it early. I'm a morning person. We're getting this out of the way before, you know, 8 o'clock. Uh, and I know that this is actually true to who you are because I, I, I don't think we were introduced. I think I heard you like on another podcast and said, I like that guy's style. And I think I like reached out on Twitter or something. And I said, I want you on the show. And I think your answer was yes. <laughs> and well, I yeah, I mean, and here I am. And, no, I and here you are for, it, for sure. This is like going to coffee with with Mike Belcito right. right here. It's like Mike Belcito. I am in the Rooster Cafe is what it feels like. <laughs> uh, no, but it's I mean, I've reached out to, you know, like people like I, I want to have like every now and then I say, oh, I want to get like a celebrity on the show. And I don't know why I want that. But I'm like, oh, like someone from Shark Tank. And, you know, right. I've reached out to all those people and like their PR people reach back and they say, well, how many downloads do you get per hour and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, for <laughs> God's sake, you know, they can't do every show. I know they can't do every show, but they could do mine, you know, just one of them. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, no, you're just a peon to them. And it's like, oh, come on, say yes once in a while. So right. uh, someday some famous person will be on the show because they'll listen to this and they'll go like, I want to be like Mike. I just want to say <laughs> yes once in a while. And I will feel good when that happens that I played a small role in that. That's absolutely perfect. Well, Mike, <laughs> I totally appreciate your uh, saying yes and being here on the show. If people want to find out more about you, maybe they're a product person. Maybe they're in product management or product marketing and they've got to go to industry in Cleveland in 2018. How in the world do they find out about you? Yeah, well, if if they are product people, I definitely hope that they sign up at productcollective.com. And, you know, whether or not they even come to industry, we just we do all sorts of things all year round to help people that doesn't cost a thing, like the newsletters, the webinars, the Slack channel. Um, we have our own podcast. It's called Build, Launch, Scale. Um, so there's all sorts of things there. People could go to productcollective.com and sign up for free. Um, it, it, of course, if they do, you know, feel like checking out industry, there's more information there. Um, but they could also reach me on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. It's just at Belsito, B-E-L-S-I-T-O. And uh, yeah, or if you want to shoot me a note, it's Mike at productcollective.com. Ah, that is so awesome. So thank you so much for being here on the show. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, there wouldn't be a show. So uh, if you like the show, jump over to iTunes, leave a review. You know, it makes my day so much brighter. When the show was new, people left reviews all the time. Now it's sort of spotty. And when I run into somebody who's a listener and I, I met someone in an airport the other day and they go, I know you, I listen to your podcast. And I said, have you ever left a review? And he goes, God, every time you say it, I mean to jump over. So you know who you are. If that's you, jump over to iTunes and leave that review. You can follow us on Twitter at Cool Podcast, because let's face it, we're the Cool Podcast. And if you want to join the group coaching program, the Potential Mastermind Project, you know, 
If you feel you're not reaching your potential in your career, whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, or someone who works inside a company but knows you could be more entrepreneurial, maybe having a little accountability, maybe having a group that you could jump on a Zoom call with every now and then, uh, maybe that's what you're looking for. I'll tell you what, everybody tells me I'm underpriced, but you know what? I want you to be able to afford it. And I think we have a good time. So go to potentialmastermind.com. You'll find out all the information you want. If you have any questions, email me, call me. Whatever. Take me to coffee. I'll go. Uh, We'll talk about it. Hey, thanks again for tuning in. We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Mike Belsito. I know it seems really hard to think that could happen, but it will. (laughs) But in the meantime, I challenge you, go on out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.